Welcome to Aim High, Grammar Kingswood's alumni podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear from the voices of students, alumni, staff, and faculty who embody the values of the Cranbrook community. This episode is brought to you by alumni.fm, a CK alum podcast production company with a mission to connect people through stories. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome to the Aim High podcast, Cranbrook Kingswood's alumni podcast. You know, my name is Robert Lee and with me today is Joey Files class of 2015. And Joey, I mean, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, there's not too much to say. First off, I want to thank you, Robert, for having me on. It's always great to sort of talk about the Cranbrook stuff, get back to the Cranbrook connection. I guess for those listening outside of my class and my other alum, my name is Joseph Files. I'm a class of 2015 grad, went to the University of Michigan, where I walked on for football after a semester. And yeah, did my four and a half years at Michigan, then briefly took up a teaching career as I was sort of waiting to hear from medical schools. And now am currently finished with my second year at Wayne State University and about to start in uh, my third year. So getting into the hospitals and all that. That's a really concise way of putting together a life story. <laughs> yeah, try to keep it down to like 20 seconds. That's all you need. Awesome. Well, okay. Let's start with Cranbrook first. So when did you enter the Cranbrook community? So I entered the Cranbrook community as a freshman, which I know as we were talking about earlier, I think surprises some people. I know definitely some of the people that I've hung out with are like, oh yeah, like you remember back in middle school, this, and I have to be like, no, like I was off in another school. So yeah, I entered as a freshman, just bright eyed. I had heard about it because my old middle school held like a high school fair kind of thing. So yeah, like, gosh, it seems weird to think about. It was between Cranbrook, Notre Dame Prep, or Orchard Lake St. Mary's. And I remember I chose Cranbrook because A, I really hated wearing ties. So that sort of ruled out Orchard Lake St. Mary's. And ironically, the Notre Dame football coach told me that I would suck at football. And so I was like, he doesn't seem very nice. I ended up going to Cranbrook and I guess I proved him wrong. So, wow. Did you say it just like that? <laughs> Pretty much. I, yeah, I remember I was with my mom and we were sort of sitting down at the end of the, the shadowing day and he was like, all right, like you got any questions for me? And I was like, yeah, you know, um, I haven't played football before, but like, I kind of want to see where it goes. And he was like, oh, you haven't played football before? No, you're going to suck. We can't have you on this team. <laughs> my God. You, you can try playing soccer. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember I left and I was like, I didn't think he was very nice. And my mom's like, no, he wasn't. So <laughs> Grand Brooker was. Wow. You're growing some uh, tough skin early on. It's like, <laughs> that guy's out to ruin kids' dreams. I guess was. so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So because of those factors, you got to choose Cranbrook. And then, yeah, I'd say I definitely also assumed you were a lifer, but you definitely were not. First year at Cranbrook, what's one of the things you remember in your first year? My first year at Cranbrook, I guess I just remember like being blown away at how big and how small it felt. Like as looking back, knowing how sort of small and close that Cranbrook is, my like middle school was even smaller. So I remember thinking like, oh my God, like I'm going to have 200 kids in my class. That's so many. But like, even despite that, I remember coming in and thinking like, huh, like after a couple months, I found like my little group, I'm sort of like coming into my own to say, and yeah, it felt like I just, I found it a lot easier to fit in than I thought originally. So that was really nice. 
That's very interesting here because usually when someone goes to Cranberry, it's like, oh, this is like a lot smaller than what I'm used to. Yeah, my old school, middle school was like, God, I think my graduating class had 14 and we were like a big class for that school. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So in your first year at Cranberry, how did you find your community? I guess just through sports, which I know sports aren't big at Cranbrook, but that's sort of, that's how I've always found like people to hang out with is like, you have a time they're always going to hang out with each other. You're always going to do something that's at least somewhat fun. Even the crappy parts of sports are still like somewhat entertaining. Yeah. I sort of started with that, started with the football guys. And then really like during basketball was when I found like a bunch of the other freshmen and stuff. And I felt like that's why I started finding more like my group was that winter season. And that was about the time that I started reaching friends outside of sports too. Were you always a sports guy? Like, were you always playing something? Yes and no. So I guess, yeah, the right answer is yes. I've always been playing something. I was never good at a lot of things. So growing up, cause I was always just a big kid. So like in little kids sports, being the big kid, like gives you such an advantage over so many other kids. So it was like, was I good? No, but I was always playing a sport because they're always like, hey, you're big enough, like stand under the basket, stand in goal, just kind of take up space. <laughs> it's like a net. Yeah, exactly. There's like, you can do something down there. We know it. Yeah. So playing sports at Cranbrook, what was your favorite sport to play? And hey, tell me about one of your favorite experiences playing sports at Cranbrook. So I think default has to be football. Not that I didn't really enjoy basketball and lacrosse as well, but football was the one that really served my interest the most. It was obviously big with my brothers too. So we were able to like bond over that. And then just, yeah, I guess just like one of my favorite memories is making that put like being a captain senior year and making that push to finally get into playoffs. Cause I remember like starting my freshman year, we were awful. Like we were just downright oh, awful. There's no way to make it sound pretty. Like we were bad. <laughs> I think we won one game and it wasn't even like our homecoming game. So yeah. I think that has to be probably my favorite. My favorite memory is like over the years, seeing like new kids come in, being sad, obviously for the older teammates and having them leave and move on to bigger, better things. But by my senior year, being able to be like, wow, we're actually somewhat decent now. We're not going to win anything major, but we worked towards mediocrity and just yeah. that growth, not the end point is what I focused on, but just like based on what we were like, this is a lot better. Relatively. We are awesome now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know when the last time you were on campus, but the football team now definitely is so much better than when we were there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was there. Gosh, I forgot when I had like a day off or like an afternoon off or something. But I remember I, I went to a couple of Benny's, Ben being my youngest brother, who's a junior at Cranbrook now, going to a couple of his games. And yeah, just like the level is, I was like, wow, these guys are a lot better even than my senior year. It's cool to just see it take off and keep getting better. Yeah. I mean, plus the fact that, hey, we got the new uh, football field during our years there. And then just uh, facility improvements. It's good. It's good to see the sports program thriving over at CK. Yeah, definitely. So experience as a captain, what was that like for you? Ah, uh, 
Jeez. Sort of the funny thing is the fact that uh, my mom sort of like digs on my brother and I because we were only two-time captains and my mom was a three-time captain. So she jokes with us like, oh, you guys don't know a real struggle. Trust me, once you're a third captain, then you'll know. But no, like it makes you feel, it just adds like another level to it because you kind of feel, you feel responsible for it in a way. Playing that sport, obviously, you're always going to be invested. It's hard to participate in a team and to not be at some level invested in the shared goal, whatever that shared goal of the team is. But anytime you sort of are allowed that privilege of being a captain or being a team leader, it's sort of when to like you take that step back and you're like, wow, the rest of my team gives me that respect. Like they trust me that I'm going to take them in the right direction. And for, I don't know, for me, that's always been like a really point of pride. People trusted me to make the right decisions and I was hopefully able to do something positive with it. Yeah. For me, I did a track and cross country SCK. That was my sports, but very similar, like team experience. You have your captains and, and I think there's a similarity here where everyone is very supportive of each other. It's very rare. Like I can't even think of an example where anyone gave up per se. They just kept going. How does this lead you becoming a full player over at Michigan? Honestly, just by happenstance. So I definitely left my senior year at Cranbrook thinking, man, that's it. I'm sort of done with football. And obviously that hits hard because that was the sport I was the most invested in. I knew I had two other sports to, that I had to focus on, but losing that last game was like, ooh, that one hurt a little bit more. But yeah, it's just sort of weird twist of fate. I show up by my third day at Michigan and I'm walking through the quad. And ironically, it wasn't the football team. It was the rowing team who one of the guys was out in the quad grabbing on the shoulder and was like, Hey, did you used to play sports? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and he was like, come with me. And in retrospect, probably should have been a little more suspicious when I just got shoved onto a bus and driven somewhere off. Oh, no way. Yeah. But okay. they were like, oh, trust us. Hop on here. We'll drive you down to the boathouse. And so you, didn't, you did not learn a lesson. Don't talk to strangers. <laughs> apparently not. Or at least it didn't stick. I Yeah. Just yeah. naive little me. I was like, okay. I'll go on the bus. But yeah, so I ended up doing rowing for my first semester in Michigan. So like just absolutely just picked up a new sport. Didn't love it. I really enjoyed it. I obviously have a whole new appreciation for like that sport now because I realized how hard it is, how dedicated you have to be. And so it was, I thought I was going to do that. And then I was like, oh, I guess this is my sport now. And then in January, someone posted as a joke on like the class Facebook page. Hey, LOL, if anyone wants to live their Wolverine dream, here's the link to the walk-on tryout information for the football team. And I was, there's nothing I can lose here. It's essentially like, I've got a team now. I can stick with that. Or I can give this a shot and see where it goes. So signed up for that. Showed up to Schembechler Hall on a random Saturday. And apparently like didn't totally blow it. I definitely remember leaving that thinking like, wow, there are a lot of guys that are faster and stronger than I am, but got the call about a week later from coach Rick Finati, who gosh, I forget where he is now. Cause he basically after two years, like left to take a, an assistant coaching job somewhere else, but he was like, 
hey, you were one of the bodies selected, show up to Schembechler Hall for your like, they didn't call it onboarding, but that's essentially what it was, where it was, here's where you get your loop, here's where your locker is, don't be late to team meetings type thing. Was that like a dream come true for you? Yeah. Just because I was like, wow, I never thought I'd get this chance to to play college sports. Definitely wasn't something that was ever on my radar. But ironically, the rest of my family is Michigan State grads. I didn't grow up like a huge Michigan fan. Like, obviously I am now. And so when I originally chose to go to Michigan, I sort of got some teasing from the rest of my family where they were like, really? Like you chose that school out of all the other schools. And then... I got on the team and I was obviously ecstatic. My parents were like, well, we can't cheer against you now. <laughs> like yeah. you've made it impossible. We have to cheer for Michigan now. <laughs> oh, you made them at least be, uh, I, I guess, like Michigan a little bit. <laughs> exactly. They were like, yeah. I guess we have to cheer for you when you're not playing state. Yeah, that's amazing. So Joey Files, what was it like walking onto the field the first time? And what was it like playing your first game? So those were very spaced out temporally yeah my first experience to when i finally got on the field my true senior year yeah so that took about three or plus years to get there but i just remember my first experience actually was against chris wormley who is now with the steelers as a defensive tackle and i just remember it was like a random spring ball where they were like, all right, files, here's like what the play is. It's just a running play. All you need to do is block this guy one-on-one. -on -one. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I don't get any help with this. Wow. First play. Let's go. And so I sort of get down in my stance and I look up. And for those that don't know, Chris Wormley is about six, five, 315 pounds. And at that time I was about two. 40, 235, really, maybe add five pounds of pads. And I just remember like, heard the ball hike. I was like, all right, I'm going to give it all I got. Have my head in there and I'm straining. And I thought I did a halfway decent job. I look at the film later. He literally has one hand on me. He doesn't even look concerned that I'm trying to do anything. He's got like one hand sort of shoving me away. And he's like, all right, like what's going on back there? I'll sort of throw this guy to the side and make a play on it. So yeah, that was, if just walking around wasn't enough of an indication, I think that play alone was enough where I was like, I am dealing with just like another level of human being. I don't know how I can compete with that. Compare that to my first time getting on the field at the big house was Western Michigan in 20, it would have been 2018. It was obviously at the end of a blowout game. There was no consequence to anything that I did, but I just remember like stepping out and being like, wow, I sort of did it. Like I got to walk out and run a play. Yeah. I didn't do anything. I sort of like did a little rap block and tried to hit somebody. I think it was like no game. So like literally the most anticlimactic play you could have drawn up where it was like, oh boy, a running play that did absolutely nothing. But you're a part but of yeah, it. Yeah, that was, I was a part of it. I got to sort of walk out and be like, wow, I stepped on the field. I took a snap in a game. So on the field, I'm just thinking, hey, you, you played at CK, the crowds probably weren't that big. And then you play the big house. How does that feel to you? Tell me about that. Yeah, it's just like, again, it's just a different level. Even at that point in the game, Nobody was even cheering because we were winning by so much. But just the hum of the crowd 
was like enough that I was like, I have to really listen into this versus CK. Like, I'm happy that the CK students are now getting support or that the CK athletics are now getting support from the students. Because a couple of games I've been to, there's actually been some crowd noise, which is something that I was definitely not used to when I played. Even though the base level of noise is as loud as like the CK stadium cheering. And then obviously when something actually like impressive happens there, it's hard not to lose your voice. It's just so loud that you're trying to like scream along or trying to relay whatever and it just kind of gets lost in the noise. I can't imagine. It just sounds like it's such a awesome experience that you would never forget. <laughs> Do you think you're the first CK grad to play on the Michigan football team? I actually don't know. I was going to say, I don't know off the top of my head. If I wasn't, I know I was like one of the first in a while because there was, I think I, I told you about it, but there was one practice where uh, I was like walking off. I was thinking about whatever homework or something I had to do after. And one of the assistant coaches sort of comes up and goes, hey, like Files, someone's asking for you. I was like, nobody asked for me. I know my parents aren't in town. Like who could possibly be asking? It was a Cranbrook family that the dad was an alum. I don't think he was a, like a football player, but he somehow got access into Schembechler and was what happened to be walking through the locker room and saw my nameplate that said Joseph Files from Lake Orion Cranbrook High School. And he was like, can we like meet this guy? And the assistant coach was like, sure. So I got, I like walked up and I was like, hi, I'm sorry. I don't think I know you. And they were like, Oh my God, you're real. Yes. <laughs> they were like, we saw Cranbrook in the locker room and we didn't think that it happened. So <laughs> look at you, you're a CK celebrity. I guess so. In whatever sense that means. Yeah. <laughs> One more question about Michigan football. All right. So as a player, what's something that surprised you or what's something that people don't know about the football team that only an insider would know? That only the insider knowledge, I would say just sort of the diversity of players that we have is something that I always think is interesting. And I think it's getting more publicity now as sort of a lot of these walk on stories are talked about, or as these players sort of step in and do something to get to either the next level or make a name for themselves at the collegiate level, but it's not all future NFL players are like these fantastic athletes. There's kind of a funny mix of college students that just happen to be athletic enough to be a practice player. I'm trying to think of like the eight or so guys I walked on with. We got a couple guys in med school. One of them's like an accountant now. Another's like a nurse. So it's just weird to think of like the level where some dude who's an accountant now is like, oh yeah, I got my butt kicked in practice by like Jabril Peppers or um, Jake Rudock absolutely torched me in practice type thing. What's interesting about that is I always thought about, hey, what, what do professional sports players do after they retire? And sometimes that's what happens. They just go to a normal job. Right. Okay. So relate to that. How did you make your way into medicine? Like, where does that come into play? Gosh, not to sound cliche, but I've always knew I wanted to do something with medicine. I used to joke where it was like, oh, every kindergartner wants to be either a doctor, a firefighter, or a policeman, but doctors don't have to wake up as early. And little did I know that's absolutely not true. 
doctors have to wake up. Yeah, where'd you get your information? Yeah, exactly. I think I got lied to somewhere along the line. Um, but yeah, so I was like, I always sort of, in the back of my mind, knew that I wanted to get into medicine. When I started Michigan, I was, okay, like now it's time to start taking those types of classes. Really, it was my end of sophomore year, junior year, where I was like, all right, I really have to fill out the resume of doing the community service, getting research hours, all the crazy things that the medical school like require from people to gain admission to then pay like thousands of dollars more to keep going in. But my path was sort of, I don't know, it was a little delayed. Like I said, so I took four and a half years to finish, namely because I wanted to squeeze another season in. I was having a lot of fun with it. That last semester, I only took six credits, which is doing a couple labs, doing some community service and doing football. It's a lot of fun. Graduated 2019 and sort of throughout that semester, that summer I had filled out the application. I had taken the MCAT in May and gotten a score that I felt was competitive enough that I didn't need to retake it, which I was super thankful for because that test is brutal. It's just eight hours of trying to maintain focus. And there's only so much coffee that you can drink without jittering in your seat. And you're trying to remember like everything that you've learned in college. Oh God, what did that one bio 101 professor say three and a half years ago? So I thought entering that fall semester, I was like, okay, I've done enough. I have a competitive enough resume. I feel strong about my chances getting in. That's why I do about. 16 programs, submitted secondary applications for 14, which for those that don't know the process, you, you submit your common app for the med school called the AMCAS. If they like you enough, they send you a request for secondaries, which is essentially just refilling the same information so that they know you're serious. And then throughout that semester, I proceeded to get denied from almost every single medical school. And that is a brutal process to just like just to get email after email from these programs that you're hoping to hear good news from and just see, sorry, we're very disappointed. Uh, our class is full. We can't offer you an interview at this time, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was about that December that I didn't have an exact count, but I think there was only like four schools that I, I had still yet to hear from and Wayne was one of them. The other ones, they were long shots where I, I think one of them was Duke. And I think the only reason I didn't get outright denied from there is they didn't even bother to look at my application. So at that time, I yeah, was... Yeah, I, I think you got to give yourself more credit. Oh, no, trust me. Like this process is competitive. There's that small part where I was like, maybe there's that one guy in the admissions office that's like, we'll get him a chance. But <laughs> yeah, I think that got lost somewhere in the breeze. So yeah, it was about December where I was like, wow, I'm going to graduate. I don't have anything lined up. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so my old school actually randomly had their Spanish teacher left and contacted me because my parents were still serving on the board. And they were like, do you want to do Spanish? Because we know that you graduated with a Spanish major. Like literally three weeks before I thought I was going to be unemployed. And then I'm now preparing how to teach kids to conjugate verbs. Yeah. Couldn't have predicted it. After that, I sort of like in January, I happened to hear back from Wade and they did offer me an interview and then I got waitlisted. So I was like, shoot, I guess I'm 
really going to be teaching. And that lasted pretty much all the way until June, right until I was at the eighth grade, like graduation ceremony, like sitting in the back with sort of some of the other teachers. The day before the principal had asked me, basically saying like, hey, we know that you're obviously waiting to hear back from Wayne, but we haven't looked for another Spanish teacher. Should we start that process? And at that time, I was like, no, like I haven't heard back. Classes start in less than a month. So as of right now, I'm planning to come back. And obviously, like I didn't sound as disappointed telling him that. (laughs) For him, I was like, I haven't heard back. So I'll see you in September. Ha ha. And that very next day, I'm sitting in the back of the graduation ceremony and I get an email from Wayne and it, you know, the you're in. So then I had like three weeks to figure out orientation and submitting all my paperwork, making sure that I had everything documented. And now I'm here. Like I got to, wow. You know, very easily you could have been Joey, the Spanish teacher and not Joey, the doctor. (laughs) Trust me. I was, part of me was preparing for that process where I was like, well, at some point, I'm probably going to have to like actually get my teaching certificate or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know you went through that phase, like that short stint of being a teacher. As a teacher, what did you learn from that experience? I'm sure a lot, but what's one thing? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in the greater scheme of things, I obviously learned that I really enjoy working with kids. So I think that's going to play some part in the medical field in the future. But Yeah, I just feel like a lot of my life experiences, I sort of gain an appreciation for the people that do that regularly. And I think teaching is that paramount where in doing it as a student, you never realize like what your teachers go through. You're just essentially, I know, especially growing up, there's that weird phase where you don't think your teachers sort of exist or have lives outside of school. So whenever you see your teacher at the grocery store, you sort of freak out a little bit as a kid because you're like, oh my God, wait, you're like a person. You're not just a teacher. Yeah, they eat, they do things. You're not school, what? But like, yeah, to another level, in talking with a lot of the other teachers, like that's A, like a really tight community. I'm not sure if it was just my school, but I'd walk around and almost every teacher would be like, hey, do you need help lesson planning? I know you haven't trained in this. We're happy to help you. You tell me how much time you need blocked out. I'll adjust my lesson plan so that it fits with yours. And yeah, just like that camaraderie and just the effort that it takes to, in reality, to just keep kids entertained. A, just to keep kids entertained is is a hassle in itself. To actually try to teach them things is like a whole other battle. Do you ever spend a good amount of time in a Spanish-speaking country? Not nearly enough. The closest I ever got was, uh, I got to spend three weeks in a study abroad thing in Barcelona, which ironically, I learned within two days of being there that as they're gaining their independence from Spain, they don't like to speak Spanish as much. So I showed up there with sort of this whole, like, very, for lack of a better term, very educated gringo way of speaking Spanish. And just immediately got shot down by like anybody I talked to where they were like, no, 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 no. It's either English or Catalan. We don't need to speak Spanish. And I'm like, oh, okay. I just spent 10 years trying to learn, but, uh, cool. There's your immersion experience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I only ask because like, oh, you're not the type of guy who imagines a Spanish teacher, but hey, you never know. All right. So what stage are you in the medical school process right now? So I am for colloquial terms, about to start my M3 year. 
So for essentially, I have now done my two years of study. Wayne does it a little different where they accelerate the pre-clerkship curriculum because they realized you learn better by shadowing actual doctors than just reading about things in a book. So I have done sort of with my book learning, I took my step one exam, which is the national exam that they give all medical students to be like, have you learned enough that we can let you into the hospital and you won't hurt somebody? And yeah, about to start on my core rotations, which are the ones that they need everybody to get at least a little bit of exposure in. And then I'll have a, about a year to a year and a half of elective or away rotations where I choose what I want to do. I choose what hospital system I want to follow. And hopefully after that, we'll be in a residency program somewhere. So about two and a half years away. It's a long process, man. It's a long process. I wonder for you, what motivates you to, to keep on this track? And hey, like by the end of it, what kind of doctor do you think you'll be? So I think those two really tie in together. My primary motivation for it is essentially watching what my middle brother Danny went through. He, I'm sure he'll be fine with me sharing this, but it's this condition called skiffy, which essentially in medical lingo is slipped cap femoral athesis. What it means is essentially the ball of his hip had a growth plate in it and it fractured that growth plate and as a result paralyzed his hip. And so he, for about a year in eighth grade, I'm pretty sure, was walking with just a progressively worsening limp. And for whatever reason, his pediatrician at the time just essentially brushed off his growing pains, was like, don't worry, like a lot of kids his age have growing pains, especially in the hips and the knees, he'll grow out of it. And that process sort of continued for about a year until my mom was watching him walk one day and was like, okay, this is bad. Like I, I need to see somebody else. Took him at the request of a family friend to an orthopedic doctor who gave him an x-ray, essentially told my parents, oh, this is not good, but I don't deal with this type of thing. You're going to need to go to this doctor whose name was Dr. I results. He is a pediatric orthopedic doctor, basically gave Danny like a hip replacement. And I think one of the most impressive parts for him is that he had an entire plan. He walked through the plan with Danny and my parents saying like, this is what we're going to do. Like, here's what we're going to put in, blah, 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 everything like that. At the end of it, asked if they had any questions and. Danny was like, can I do sports? Can I still be a kid? To which Dr. Zoltz was, is that important to you? And he was like, well, yeah, like, I'd love to do that. And Dr. Zoltz was like, all right, scrap this plan, start in square one. Here's what we're going to do instead. This one is going to be maybe not as longevity, but it's going to give you that flexibility. It's going to be super strong. You're going to break the other hip before you break this one. And yeah, just like. He did the surgery. Danny has obviously recovered and he's now playing college football at Valparaiso. And so that's really sort of what keeps me going. I feel like if you ask anybody in medicine, they're why enough, like they'll narrow in on the one story or the one instance where they're like this specific doctor or this incident with healthcare really sort of transformed my opinion and gave me that why. So my why is essentially to 
help kids like Danny. If a kid has some type of issue where they can't be active or they can't, you know, play piano or do something that they love doing, if I sort of do enough training and enough practice and obviously am privileged enough to get into that position, that's sort of what keeps me going is that, wow, like there might be one day where I'm helping some kid with a broken wrist and now they're throwing a baseball again and like, Hey, they made high school state playoffs because their wrist is better. And I got to do that. I love how that doctor scrapped the plan, started over again, right? Just to figure out a way to make it work. Right. That's that amazing. I so look forward to when you do become a doctor, Joey. That'd be great. Fingers crossed. I appreciate that. <laughs> We're going to wrap up. And one question that I ask every single person. So who do you want to hear from next on the podcast? Gosh, I think two names that come to mind because I'm probably going to hang out with them later is Alex Hubers and Grant Glover are two that I think they've also sort of followed interesting life stories. Don't want to spoil too much. They can give it themselves, but those will be guys that I check in on. They're also your, uh, your roommates for a couple of years, right? Over at Michigan. Right. So I'm biased. Like I, of course, <laughs> want to hear the, what they think too. Awesome. Well, okay. So let's do that. Joey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Robert. It was really fun. This has been Aim High, Kramer Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find. For any feedback or guest requests, please send an email to robert at alumni.fm. Thank you so much for listening and catch you soon.